0: Um, so uh, oftentimes, when you get to uh, a sermon like today, which is you know the last sermon of the year, oftentimes the sermon kind of comes uh, about reflection. Like, hey, let's let's. That's right. Uh, no, nobody likes reflection. I get you, bro. It's like live in the present. I get you, Sammy. And so. Uh, yeah. And so a lot of times we want to look back, and then we, we kind of like, okay, well, let's reflect and let's think through that. Let's, let's plan for the future. Sometimes the first sermon, right, in 2018 will be kind of this, well, let's get some resolutions and some goals and stuff. And listen, none of that is wrong. We've preached through stuff like that in these kind of one-off moments. Um, but today I wanted to do kind of something a little bit different, but it's also something that we did a few years back. And it seemed to fit really well with our Advent series, which if you weren't part of it for the last four weeks, we were doing a series called uh, What Child Is This?, which is a study. Uh, the sonship of Jesus. And so we did uh, Jesus as the son of God, then as son of man, then son of uh, David, and then son of Mary. Um, and w- the whole point of it, right, was for us to like intentionally gaze at Jesus, like to, to look at the life of Jesus uh, from the beginning and say, man, how do we fall deeper in love with him? And, and like I said, like my all-encompassing desire for 2018, like if you want to come up with resolution, I hope it's just to love Jesus more. Um, and, and I think the best way that we can possibly do that is, is we need to get to know him, and, and we need to spend time with him, and we need to kind of gaze at him, and we need to stare at him, and we need to learn more about him and spend more time like gathering in community and talking about him and the whole deal. And so I was like, man, I don't want to leave our series behind. And so what we're kind of doing is a continuation, week five of our Advent series in, in some ways. What we're going to do is look at Jesus right after kind of birth, right? So kind of uh, from the manger to John the Baptist, right? So the, the kind of from like, you know, eight days in to year 30 of his life because it doesn't get talked about very much. Like we, we know a lot about years kind of 30 to 33, his, his ministry to the world. Uh, we know a good amount of his birth story because, well, Christmas, um, but we kind of oftentimes miss this middle ground. These, like, honestly, these thirty years that our Savior was alive, and and I think it works out really well for you kids who happen to be in service with us today. Like, look, if you're here and you're five or you're six or you're you're nine, you're eleven, you're two, whatever. Like, Jesus was also five, six, nine, eleven, and two. Like, like he walked in the shoes that you walk in today, right? Like he he knows and understands everyone's life and plight and understanding. The world, And so I thought it was really apt that then we kind of study his life from that, in a desire to get to know him better. And I think the more we get to know the person of Jesus, the more deeper in love we'll fall with him. And the more deeper in love we fall with him, I think, the more joy in our hearts, more glory for him, and more obedience to that which he's called the church to in the world. Amen. And so that's my hope for us uh, and desire for us today. So um, it's all kind of coming out of John 21, 25, which if you're not familiar with this verse, I'll, I'll read it and it should be on the screen, but it says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, right? uh so so John the, the apostle John as he gets to the end of uh his his gospel he's like hey listen like this is how great Jesus is like you've heard everything i've told you um but man if we could honestly take a moment to write down everything he's done there's not enough books in the entire world to encapsulate the amazing things that he has done. So I, I literally sat down for like, it took me about 20 minutes, and wrote down every significant thing that I thought I'd been a part of, and I literally got to about a half a page. Like, it, it was not very thorough. And you just think of the majesty and the amazing reality of Christ. That, that Man, John's like, listen, we can write and write and write and write and not even touch the amazing works of Christ. And so again, it had me gaze back to this time and this reality of, of what did his life look like. So let's go on that journey. Again, we might move somewhat quick. And so starting in Luke 2, 21 through 24, we pick up on the tail end of the Advent story. And it says this, At the end of the eight days, so Jesus now now eight, eight days old, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so Jesus already eight days in, he's fulfilling the Old Testament law as he's supposed to, right? And so eight days in, he gets circumcised per the Jewish law. Law. Okay, then from eight days up into 41 days, so 33 days later, there is this purification time for the woman after giving birth that we'll look in Leviticus chapter 12. And so if you want to follow along or turn your Bibles to it, you can do that. Uh, but Leviticus, Leviticus 12, verses 6 through 8, it says this When the days of her purifying, this is the woman who's just given birth, are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter. She shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering, another for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Okay, so 41 days after the birth of Jesus, per the Old Testament law, Mary and Joseph and Jesus make a trek to the temple in Jerusalem that this cleansing ritual will happen. Now, when you read this in the context of 2017, this sounds absolutely crazy. Like, if I went to my wife, and we just had a little James like four months ago, and said, Hey, sweetheart, so I know, you know you're about a month into this, but we have to walk like 50 miles uh, to go to this other place so you can do this ritual. Like I don't think that would go very well. And so this for us sounds somewhat crazy, but in Old Testament law, to be unclean was a big problem. And so to be made clean through this ritual was an important right, an important law for the people of God. And so Jesus is brought to the temple at 41 days old, and the ritual happens. Now, uh, how many parents have ever traveled with kids? Huh? Anyone, right? Have you ever brought an infant anywhere of any distance, right? Like, when, when they're first born, they don't like going from, like, one end of the room to the other. Now, imagine putting this kid in this giant trek and walking him away, Right now, now this is this is a big deal. We're gonna even expound on that even further about the distance he has to go to Egypt in just a moment. But I want you guys as we go through this to put yourself, if you can, in the shoes of Jesus, who we learned is God. So you have God, the all-majestic, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-supreme God of the universe that made everything. And now he is at the beck and call and whims of some poor parents. And I mean literally poor, because what we see is that in the Old Testament law, you were to bring a lamb for a burnt offering and bring a pigeon or a turtle dove for your sin offering before the Lord and be sacrificed. But, but they say if you cannot afford the lamb, okay, then just bring two turtle doves. Now, uh, 12 days of Christmas, that's where that comes from. I'll bring you two turtle doves if you didn't realize kind of the origin of that song. So, two turtle doves is what Mary and Joseph bring to the altar because they could not afford this. So, again, now think about Jesus, the all knowing, all powerful, all rich, and supreme ruler of the world, whom decided to come into the womb of parents who could not afford the normal sin offering because they were too poor. What does that say about the character of our Savior? What, is it, what do we learn about Jesus that, of all the people he could have chose to be born into, the family that he chose was one of impoverishment and outsidedness? What does it say about the humility of our Lord, about the way he works? Maybe he doesn't work top down like everyone, but potentially he works bottom up, which is a very different understanding of the way leadership and success and ruling happens to happen in our world today. So, so that's one observation, I think, about Jesus. But the, but the second one, I think, is even kind of uh, more profound for me. Is that is the irony of all of this when Mary and Joseph show up to the temple, right, to, to give this offering for cleansing? And they say, well, we, we, can, you know, we can't afford the lamb, and so let's just bring the two turtle doves. What's so ironic about this moment is that what rests in her arms, maybe in a sling, what she's probably holding is the lamb that was to be sacrificed for all. That this, they had to bring two turtle doves, right? That this cleansing thing could happen. And in this whole scene, she carries the one true sacrificial lamb that had been foretold for thousands of years that would come and die and be sacrificed for the whole world. And that was in her presence. And so, you understand what's going on here is that Jesus being the perfect and sacrificial lamb, there's so many connections and metaphors, it's amazing. But in this moment, what we learn is that, man, Jesus as the lamb is the perfect picture of wealth. You see, that, man, to be wealthy in the kingdom of God is not to be having a ton of finances, it's to be rich in Jesus. Because he is the lamb substitute that would show wealth, that would show prosperity, that would show success. In the kingdom of God, it has nothing to do with your bank account. It has everything to do with your relationship with the Savior of the world. And so, I mean, I, again, I long for us as a church and like to, to desire and to push deeper into Him. To find richness and to find beauty and joy in this world is to find and know Jesus deeper. Okay. And so, so let's, let's keep going. So in Luke 2, 39-40, the story... Continues, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So from from day 41 to age 12, uh, we only have five verses. We have these two in Luke, and then we have a few in the book of Matthew. Now, these two in Luke, uh, they just say that, man, they headed back home, but now tucked into, in between verses 39 and 40 of Luke, we have Matthew uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, which I'll read to you now. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. And so what we learn about Jesus is, again, of all the families he could have been born into, he chooses a poor, impoverished one. Of all the places he could have born into and all the situations he could have born into, he's born into a situation where the king of the land wants him killed. And so they, like refugees, must flee to a foreign land to escape spiritual, religious, and physical persecution that they would still live. And so Jesus, as a young child, is a refugee. What does that tell us then about our King who chooses to come this way? About the humility of God our Savior who enters into the world and lives this type of life. Okay, and so then we come back into that Luke text. And again, in verse 40, it says, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So, okay, what, what was going on during Jesus' childhood? Like, what, what was some of the stuff? And so I began to dream a bit, because this is all we get, until age 12, we don't know anything else really about Christ's life from, from days 41 to, to year 12. And, and so I began to kind of just, let's, let's look at his life, let's look at some of the facts that we know. And so uh, we knew that he grew up in a religious home, which obvious, right? So I mean, like he, he grows up to, with Jewish parents, and so they teach him the law. And he's obedient from day one. And so kids, listen up. And parents, this is for you. But kids, be like Jesus and be obedient, Okay, like, like do what you're supposed to do. Do what you're called to do. Jesus growing up in this home, he knew what it was like to be brought to church every week, right? They would go to synagogue. They had to go through the rituals. And so if you're here and you're like, man, if like we keep doing the church thing, Jesus understands that, okay? He walked through that life too. Now, um, let me ask you, this is not to meant, be, meant to be taken rhetorically. I really want to know if you can grow up and just shout out some answers, okay? If you could grow up in any city in all of the world, right? If you could pick one city, man, if I could go back and I could just choose to grow up here, your whole life is the same, you got the same family, same all that stuff, but you could choose to grow up in one city in all of the world, what would it be? And I know Anthony's going to say Phoenix because he's a fool, but, um, okay, um, but if you could say it, just, just give me some names. Nashville, that's cool. Keep going. Holbrook. Is that real? All right. What else? No offense to Holbrook, but what? Flagstaff, there you go. Hawaii, there you go. That's what I was waiting for. Amen, brother. Um, how many people in your heart said Yuma? <laughs> be honest, right? Like how many are like, yeah, you know, Vince, like it'll be good, Yuma. Like that probably and listen, we, we kinda we kinda hate on Yuma at this church, and there's no reason why. It's it's just become that place, right? But Jesus, again, of all the families to be born into, he chooses his family. Of all the situations to be born into, he chooses this situation. Of all the places to be born into, he chooses Nazareth. Which if you go on throughout the scriptures is this town that they look at and they say what good could possibly come from Nazareth. Like the reputation of Nazareth was like this place is not a place to be from. Okay? Like like so th- this is the city that he chose to be born into. What does it say about our savior? What does it say about his values about the kingdom of God values that Jesus came to show us in this world? Maybe it isn't that the best place and the best situation, right? And the best people are the key to happiness in this life. Maybe it's the wealth that is found in knowing your Savior, okay? Which is my desire for us. Um, let's continue on. Um, it uh, this is what some some details about his life. We know he was cousins with John the Baptist. And so Mary's sister was Elizabeth. Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist and Jesus were, were cousins, and they probably grew up together. Which, if you know anything about John the Baptist, that dude was crazy, right? Like, that he ate locusts. I mean, he was just this, this wild. He dressed in, 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 like, sackcloth and rags. And he would go on to pave the way for Jesus, the coming Messiah. And you think, like, this, this was the cousin that he, he I mean, he had these weird family dynamics that we all have. Like, let's go into the rest of it. So he had two sisters, and he had four brothers. So he was one of seven kids in a home. Now, some of you have, you know, brothers and sisters and siblings. Like, my, me and my brother, man, I just look at our relationship growing up. Yeah, that's right, that they were the Blairs. That's amazing. Like, the Blairs, that's perfect. And so they had seven kids in, like, a busy house with no money. And this is the family that he chose to be part of. Okay? We know that the four brothers, we know their names, James, Joseph, Judas, not the one that would betray him. And then Simon was, was the name of the last one, which is just unfortunate that he's the only one that didn't get a J name. I'm sure he got made fun of that a, like a ton. Um, but you just wonder like, what was, what was it like for Jesus to be raised in a home with parents and brothers and have to have these relationships like, like some of you have really great relationships with your siblings. Like you just love your brothers and sisters, and they're there for you, and they support you. Others of you, not so much, right? Like some, and, so, and sometimes it's somewhere in between, and in different seasons, you either want to love or kill the other person. Like it's just, sometimes that's what's like, so what was it like for Jesus to grow up in that place? And we kind of joked about some different things that would have been like, but I mean, what was it like for the brothers when they were constantly like, well, Man, like, why can't you be more like Jesus? And they're like, well, because I'm not God. (laughs) I mean, like, what was this dynamic like? Jesus was a real person. He comes into this real situation that identifies with everything that this life can offer. Okay, so that's that's Jesus' childhood, okay? And then we learn then in verse 40 that he grew up and was strong and wise and favored by the Lord. Okay, so um, let's look at the rest of the verse, uh, the, last, the rest of his narrative. This is now, um, we've covered 41 days to 12, so I just filled in everything you ever need to know about Jesus' upbringing, but um, let's get to age 12, uh, and we actually get a little bit more about his story. And so Luke two forty-one through 52 says this, Now his parents, Mary and Joseph, went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. So uh, this is essentially the original Home Alone, okay? Like, Like they were counting kids, you know, and they left Jesus, Like, they left God in town, okay? And this is just, this story is baffling to me. And so this whole family, like, you know, and and listen, Mary and Joseph, you know, I'll get to that in just a moment. (laughs) But they start walking along, and they begin to look around, hey, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? They ask family, I don't know. Oh my gosh, we left him. And so they go back. And can you imagine the gripping fear amongst the family, almost a day's journey outside the city, and now they're like, we left our 12-year-old son in Jerusalem, right? And so they, they run back. I had this one. I wasn't even going to share the story, but since Kate and Joseph are, are randomly here today, uh, there was this time, it was embarrassing, but I went to go watch some soccer with, with Joe and Josh and, and Kate was there. And so I run into the house and I had told them earlier in the day, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to bring Finley, who at that point was probably, I don't know, like six months old or something. And they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to bring Finley. He's going to come hang out, watch some soccer with us. And, uh, and so I get into the house and I sit down and we're watching the game and little sweet Kate goes, I thought you were going to bring Finley. And I jump up out of my seat and I bolt to the car because the poor kid was just hanging out there, just like, just wondering, like, I thought we were watching Liverpool. And, um, and so I just remember in that moment, and he was what, like 25 feet away, he was like just down the, like the block, like right there. They left Jesus, the Son of God, with whom an angel visited to prophesy and tell them this is the Savior of the world. Protect him, raise him, and give him a life so he can save the world. And they left him in Jerusalem for a day. This is a crazy story. And so they go back to him. And in verse 48, they find him. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, this is the cheekiest answer of all time. Why were you looking for me? (laughs) Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying as he spoke it to them. Now, if I'm a parent, and if Finley ever pulls this, and kids, you're in here with us, if you ever pull this, man, I don't care what your parents do to you, okay? Like, don't do that. But this is Jesus, the Son of God. And so they go into him, and are like, listen up. Like, man, why'd you do this? A very expected and normal question if your 12-year-old son decides to stay behind on a family vacation, okay? And he says, guys, like, why, why are you surprised right now? don't you know, like, I'm supposed to be here. Now, this story can in some ways seem like Jesus is just being silly or being a, this weird 12-year-old. But, you know, I think when we step back, we say, no, that's just right. And I identify with Mary and Joseph in this story significantly, not just because I left my kid in the car once, but rather because I think I often forget who Jesus is. And I often forget that he has authority to do whatever the heck he wants. Like, like I, I often forget that Jesus is the Lord. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the be-all, end-all of our entire world and existence. And so what he deems best for his life and for my own is truly best. And so when they run in, they're like, why have you done this? And his answer is to say, Man, well, obviously this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I think it is this constant reminder to them and to us, let us not forget who Jesus is. Because I think we easily do that. And I see it in my daily actions that sometimes, man, be, I, like in my sin, it's like I'm clearly not seeing Christ accurately because if I believed him as Lord, right, that what he says goes, I believed him as better than whatever thing I'm trying to achieve in my sin, then, then that stuff doesn't happen. And so I, I think this moment is, is a telling moment for his parents to just, just like, look. I'm I'm the savior of the world. This is where I'm supposed to be in my father's house. And do we trust him in that that same way? Okay, now um, last little text here, 51 and 52. And he went down with them. Oh, you know what? Nope, sorry, sorry, sorry. Before I get into that, um, do you realize what he's doing? So he's back in the synagogue and he's spending time with all of these rabbis who were not 12, right? Most of these guys were aged men who have memorized the entire Torah to, like, word for word, and they sit before Jesus. Now, notice what he does. It does say that they are impressed with his answers, but before we get there, what does he do? He says that he's asking questions, and he's learning, right? That we have the Savior of the world, the one who created knowledge, the one who created answers, the one who created teaching and voices, and he sits humbly at the feet of these teachers to learn. Like, there's just like some brain matter that flows out of my head. It's like, just how do you, how do we wrestle with this idea that the God of the universe put Himself in a little baby boy that grew up to be 12 that had to learn things. Right, that had to, had to grow in knowledge and wisdom. Like, what, what, why didn't he just come out and just be like, no, I'm God. No, he had to grow in wisdom and stature. He wasn't just perfectly wise and perfectly all-knowing. And he grew in his knowledge. He grew in his wisdom. He grew in his stature. This is the God of the universe who came down to this world. What does it say about Jesus our Savior? What a phenomenal God we have. That this is the story that he decides to write in the world to bring about redemption in the world. Um, Last couple verses, like I said, 51 and 52. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The God of the universe found himself intentionally submissive, submitting, coming underneath other human beings. And this is a microcosm of the gospel story that the God of the universe decided to leave his heavenly throne to come to this earth to not lead from the top down, but from the bottom up to come down to the lowest to lift those up who could not reach God on their own, which is everyone. This is the story of the gospel and you see it, listen, not just in the cross, not just in the three years of his ministry, not just in his birth. But even in this giant 30 year period, Jesus Christ, the baby made man, made savior, God in the flesh was always the savior and Lord and king of this world. And he proved it and proved faithful over and over and over, even as a crazy adolescent, like many of us, were or are even now. There's a song that, uh, that we, we've sung here a handful of times, but it's one of my favorite songs. Um, I listen to it probably two, three times a week. Um, it's called Flesh and Bone. And I want to read you a few of the lyrics from the song. And this isn't the Bible or anything, but it's just I think it's a helpful reminder. It says the Word, capital W, the Word must learn to speak, right? Like the guy who created words had to learn how to speak them. The sky sustainer needs air to breathe. The one who created air, oxygen that holds it together, needs air to breathe. Jesus, you needed the blood to shed for our sin. Aside for a spear, thorns wait for your skin. You needed the body to be lifted from dead on a stone, God with flesh and bone. So, so listen, as we, as we wrap up 2017 and this season and this Advent deal, right? And, and we try and like focus and gaze on Jesus. Like we gaze upon God who became man, who would sit here with us. Like that God would sit there. Like if, Jesus, if this was 2,000 years ago and we were meeting in a synagogue, God would be sitting in seat A103. Like God was sitting in seat A103 amongst all the people, teaching and growing and learning, and it's all because he desired to win back that which was lost. So man, like this, this narrative, this story, there's nothing super profound about today. There's no, I'm, I'm not unlocking any amazing points. It's really just me gaze upon the story of Jesus. And from day one to day, the end of... 33 years he fulfilled every promise and everything necessary to win back that which is lost namely his creation and the pinnacle of his creation you me and every other human being that would call on the name of the lord as savior so so gaze on him okay and we're going to take a moment of reflection just a moment gaze on him celebrate Him, worship Him in this season, and let that be the all-consuming desire for your heart as we move forward into 2018 and beyond. Let's pray.